Whether you keep them in your home or love to see them in theirs, these are the creatures that bring us all together. Reptiles. Reptiles. We're going to be delving into the experiences of reptile lovers from around the block and around the world. This is the Reptile Talk Podcast. What's up, everybody? This is Jeremy Turgeon from Brassman Reptiles. And I'm Rob, and I'm Creeping It Real. And uh, we're back. We're back. We're back for another exciting episode of Reptile Talk. We're in our 60s now. Yeah, I'm here for it. I'm here for it. The, the nifty 60s. <laughs> <laughs> when do we qualify for a senior discount? I mean, I think it's it, 65 no, we should get no, our no, AARP no, card. No. I, I think Is that, that how that works? I think that NPR set the, the tone. It's got to be over 100 episodes. Over 100 and then episodes. You, and then you can get one. Bum, bum, bum. Well, we're almost there. We're Dude, more than halfway I'm, there. I'm super pumped for our guest tonight. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Who do we have tonight? So Rob? we have a very special guest. We've got Rich Crowley from R&D Exotics. Boom. boom. Let's get so him in here. Get him in here. And boom. How's it Bam. going, Rich? Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I'm so pumped to have you on tonight. Oh, man. Oh, man. It's, I'm looking forward to it. I mean, when you first uh, reached out to me and say, hey. I was like, oh, awesome. And happy 60 plus, man. I mean, come on. NPR has pulled it off for the last few years. You guys are the next gen. I mean, come on. We're trying. Appreciate that, man. It's really really hard to keep up with uh, Owen and and, uh, and Oscar. Oh, Oh, Eric. Oscar so, sounds better. Oscar does sound so much better. Oh, no. I'm going to hear about that. I so, mean, me too. But... So, so, Rich, for the people who might not uh, know of you, what kind of got you hurled into the realm of reptiles? What got you like into hurled, 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 just how hurled, hurled. Not, not tossed. No. <laughs> some of us were gently tiptoed in, and then some of us really dove in. <laughs> Yeah, no, I was, uh, I did not, I, I got thrown into the deep end pretty early on and I'm yeah. like real happy I did. So for those who don't know, I'm based out of Illinois. I've been, uh, I've been an Illinois native for my entire life. And, um, you know, <laughs> my baby sister hit the century, hits the century market at, on Memorial Day Monday. So it gives you enough context here. Um, but yeah, no, I, I had family down in Southern Illinois, Southern tip and into Missouri. So, you know, People talk about the pilgrimage to uh, to Snake Road and stuff. Uh, dude, I grew up with you know visiting that a couple times a year. That's um, awesome. Loved. I, I've loved everything. I mean, it's I'm not uh, specific to reptiles and amphibians, but there was a juncture or, or a point in my life where I realized that reptiles were more appropriate for me, and mm-hmm. I had real severe allergies. So anything furry, fuzzy feathery just messed with me something fierce so um but yeah maybe you guys appreciate this i was actually an invertebrate guy long before a reptile guy um (laughs) so i have to acknowledge this a little bit uh so i raised actually crayfish when i was up through my uh pre-teens into my teens so i kept crayfish i would collect the uh, the real small juveniles raise them up i had a pond in the backyard that i would raise them up and, and keep them um, I successfully collected um, breeding Cecropia moths and oh, actually so raised cool. the larvae. And oh, talk about a really cool moth, too. I mean, yeah. they're massive. <laughs> 
Um, but I kept, you know, going down to Southern Illinois, inevitably, um, I was not allowed to keep snakes as a kid. So, um, I came back with everything but snakes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, I had, uh, walking sticks. I had prey mantis. I had, uh, I actually had a, uh, um, uh, garden, uh, just typical garden style sp um, spider um, that I kept in a matchbox, the old kitchen matchboxes. Oh, wow. Walter Jr. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it was a female, so it actually lived, you know, so I kept yeah. it fed it and everything else. And um, so, yeah, that was really cool. And the, the issue, the challenge I had was, you know, I, I love snakes. I, I always had an affinity to snakes, lizards and stuff like that, but the snakes were, because it was the prohibited fruit, right? I wasn't yeah. able to keep it at home. So this, the uh, um, grammar school that I actually went to when I was from like fourth grade until sixth grade was right next to a huge, huge uh, undeveloped um, prairie and um, caught a number of garter and fox snakes. And um, we had a science teacher who was like, yeah, I'm walking in. I'm like, hey, I got a fox snake, you know, and he was like, oh, cool. We'll put it in this. We'll put it in the in the cage. Right. Which was a glass aquarium with a screen top with books on it. <laughs> the classic. And the classic. The classic. <laughs> which segue it into my uh, like what I probably spent the last 30 years dealing with is reptile rescue. And the first snake. I actually brought into the classroom, we set up this, you know, it was a big, it was a pretty good size four foot fox snake, put it in this 55 gallon aquarium with a screen top. And inevitably about an hour and a half later, it was gone. Uh, <laughs> and How did that ever happen? The, <laughs> hey, you know, the grammar school that I went to had no walled in classrooms. It was an open architecture. Mm. So, it wasn't like lost in the classroom. It was lost in the entire in the building. Yeah. And, and the science teacher comes, grabs, grabs me out and said, Hey, you, and there was another student with me and said, Hey, go find it. And that was my first, uh, oh uh my urban field, field experience. And, you know, <laughs> we looked around for about an hour and couldn't find it. And then I'm sitting in class about maybe an hour later. It was like four o'clock in the afternoon, you know, well, probably four, probably about three o'clock. You know, we're getting ready for school to be dismissed. And all of a sudden I hear this ridiculously high, shrill scream coming from the band shell area. We had like this internal, like <laughs> silence space. And sure enough, he got into the one dark spot in the entire school. And so we go in there and we walk in. He's in the middle of the, he's in the middle of the space. And we're like, we found him. There he yeah. is. That's when you start to hear the yep. scream and you're like, like oh, I found wonder, it. I wonder what found that could it. be. <laughs> <laughs> and the rest is history. I mean, it kind of just segued from there. And, um, you know, I, I, I certainly uh, love all animals. I mean, I've, I've probably collected multiple species over the, over my lifetime. And um, I've had to balance out. The desire to be, you know, I, uh, before I, when I met my wife, which is kind of when things catapulted, uh, both of us were just simply aquarists. We, we kept freshwater, saltwater, fish, and, and invertebrates. And we didn't have reptiles at the time. And we were just dating. And we didn't know each other at the time. And it was kind of like, oh, you got a fish. I got a fish. Oh, Let's go. <laughs> yeah. 
check out check out the pet shops for fish. And then all of a sudden, we saw the first baby snakes. And all of a sudden, we start reminiscing. My wife's like, oh, I had a boa constrictor when I was in high school. And I'm like, well, I had a ball python when I was in college. And I kept fox snakes and garter snakes in, college, in school. And so it was like, all of a sudden, it was like, ah. Yeah. Oh yeah. And uh she's a keeper, you know, even after all these days. And yeah, she comes in and flashes me naked later. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you, you know, you get these rocker chicks who become professionals, they think they just own the world, but uh no, they, hey, man, they do, I'm just saying. <laughs> but no, we we learned, you know, I and I, I am not the person I am today without having a supporting infrastructure. And that is obviously with my wife being very supportive of um, being uh, into exotics, because let's face mm-hmm. it, these are exotic animals. They're not always you know, necessarily native, um, but being into alternative pets other than a dog and a cat. And, um, and, you know, it's funny to this day, my mom reflects over the fact she did not allow me to have snakes and she still reminisces over my original boa constrictor, which I acquired after I moved out Mm -hmm. uh, is her grand snake. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And we're in generation two, right? At this point, she keeps the, you know, she, she reminisces over that. And now I've passed on the torch. My, my daughter was into it, but not to the extent that we are, but my granddaughter who's going to be seven in August now is kind of like she comes to visit the grandparents during Christmas holiday, and it is an experience for her like nothing <laughs> other. Yes. She walks in, and what do what do I get to play with now? And she's holding boa constrictors, and she's playing with bearded dragons, and you know. And uh, for her second birthday, her theme was dinosaurs and alligators, and I yeah. you know. And they lived in New Orleans. So it was funny. She like, she, you know, it's one thing to see an alligator, you know, a hundred yards off. And yeah. yeah. And, and they would walk and they would check them out at Audubon and stuff like that. But when she came to, um, to our place for her second birthday and I had called in the resources ahead of time. So I had a, you know, a baby 14 inch, uh, chirping, you know, baby American alligator. Uh, and I had a, and I had a three foot and, um, it was, it was just so awesome when she sat there and she's like, she walked up and she was, I want to touch it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> of course yes. you do. Here you go. You know, that's so oh, awesome. Yeah. I just did so, a, uh... um, you know, I've, I, know, I, I just did a program the other day and the kid re- specifically requested alligators and came in and it's yeah. so funny because the kid was turning like, I think five years old and he was like, Oh man, that's really cool. And he was like excited. But then like after a second, he was like, okay, I want to see the next thing. Cause he kept like eyeballing the big Burmese Python. He's like, I want to hold that. I want to <laughs> hold that. But there was a little girl who was there and she was way more into it than he was. She was like, this alligator is amazing. And she's like, I got to pet it on the back. Oh my, this thing is so incredible. Look at its eyes. Look at the face. I look at the pattern. And she was just like in love with it. And I was like, awesome. this, this kid's birthday party, but this little girl over yeah, here is she- I'm going to have to be honest after doing this. So I've been, I've been with the Chicago, for those who don't know, I've been with the Chicago Herpological Society 
in a lot of different roles from adoptions chairperson. I'm like the treasurer now, which, you know, I got suckered into that as an accountant. Um, but I've been president and but I've been doing the educational aspect of it for now close on to 30 years. And um, the one thing I've I've recognized is that there's this perception that oh, reptiles, that's like a guy thing, you know, it's like, you know, the machismo. I'm like, oh, dude, no. No, no, not dude, at all. The, you know, not when, at you, all. when you take the eight, the eight to 12 year old range, the girls are like freaking, they'll put Wait. Steve Irwin with the shit. Yep. <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah, they're like, give in. it to me. I want that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. And, but they do it with class. You know, they're, yeah. they're like, they're appreciating the animal and everything else. And, um, you know, and, and this is the part that I love. I love to be able to see the new generation. And I think, I say, if anything comes out of this talk with amongst the three of us and the audience that you have, it's this experience that we pass on that is what sustains whatever you want to call this, the hobby, the pet, the industry, whatever you want to call it. It's what sparked us to get into it. We can do it a hundred, a thousand, a 10,000 times over because we have the ability to get there. We got multimedia. We didn't have that when it was, you know, uh -huh. internet wasn't even a thing, you know, 30 yeah. years ago. And we have the ability to do it now, but you know, as much as the bit, the video images are really cool and we got the color and you get to see, you know, vinyl Burmese, it looks kind of cool. The tactile interaction, the touching, the interacting, the feeling of the muscles, the, the very, very relaxed methodical approach that a snake slithers over somebody's shoulders or across their lap. To me, that's the hook. That's yeah, what yeah. pulls them in and that's what keeps them. And and there's no there's no gender specificity on this. It's everybody loves it. You either you got you got that gene or whatever, and it inspires people. And um that's the part that I that's the reason I'll be honest with you. And Rob, you know, I mean I've been you know I've been doing blood pythons and short tail pythons for geez, freaking forever. That's the reason why I don't get into the real high end stuff. I yeah. mm -hmm. I I, I am at the point where I, I, you know, I don't breed reptiles to make money. I mean, I've got a day job and it keeps me fine. What I really want to be able to do is I want to be able to continue to sustain my ability to keep the animal and the species that I enjoy in the manner that I keep them. And that means promoting and encouraging other people to be on the same page with me and educating and whatever. But it's like you got to have an entry level exposure as well, right? Whether it's yeah. a ball python, and I've been I've been captive breeding ball pythons for close to thirty years. I mean, I I was selling ball pythons for seventy five dollars captive bred back in the late nineties when you can buy imports for fifteen bucks, and people were I couldn't sell enough of them. Why? <laughs> <laughs> they ate. Yep. They were not shy. Um, they didn't, you know, ironically, they didn't come with parasites. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> and you know, and people just loved the fact that it was like, hey, it was, you know, it was captive bread and it was, you know, it was handled and everything else. And, you know, and none of them would ball. So it kind of lost the appeal because they were like, it's not a ball python. It doesn't ball. It's like call it a royal python. Be like the Europeans. And You're royalty. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Yeah. Yeah, there you Assimilate go. to the rest yeah. of the world. Yeah. Damn it. <laughs> and then and then you grow up, 
and yeah. you get into short tail pythons. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And if you're lazy, you get into Burmese pythons. But that's a that's right. Also, <laughs> if you know less about the snakes, you get into berms. <laughs> it's like, hey, I want to. Hey, I'll feed it next month. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. It's fine. Throw a chicken breast in there; it'll eat it. I swear. <laughs> Oh, oh, oh but you know it's a you know I, it's a journey that's it's been very interesting and um you know i'm still so for the you know to kind of explain a little bit about who i am so i you know um early on somebody talked me out of going to biological sciences as a career i mean i had a strong affinity to become a veterinarian or a, and a biologist and I had a PhD biologist in the family and I had some veterinary members of the family, extended family. And they're like, don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. stress, you're going to make, you're going to spend more money in education. You're not going to make money. And, uh, and there's, there's some regrets there, but not, not real strong. Um, I got talked into, Hey, go make some money. It's like, all right. You know, so I went into business and I've been not kind of what I've been very fortunate, but I got the best of both worlds. So I have a business education. I've been doing that for, you know, 30 years. Um, but I'm in a national laboratory. So I get geeked out regularly being involved in helping the researchers that have been doing everything from AI to scientific computing to um, energy storage research and even COVID. And and the biological sciences, you know, I get to talk with guys that are in the foothills of foreign countries and it's really cool. And I told them, I said, you know what? I said, that's, I've got the best job in that regard because I'm helping support you doing it. And there's a little bit of a comedy on that because there's this perception that, oh, there's the operations people. They have no idea what the scientific folks do. Yeah. And then there's, you know. And then, and yet at the same time, they don't realize that they're like, you know, here, I'm just an accountant fundamentally, you know, and they're like, well, you know, what do you know about science? It's like, man, I know well, I actually make my way around. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, I've got, I had one, I had one scientist who sat there and he's like, so and he happened to, we happened to be crossing paths and I, and he's like, oh, well, what do you, what do you do for fun? I said, oh, I raise reptiles. And he goes, really? I'm like, yeah. And I started spewing all sorts of stuff. And I started talking about saying, oh, and I, and I did a book. And he goes, you did a book? Right. On what? I'm like, well, you know, keeping this Indonesian native python species, you know, group, you know. And he's like, really? And all of a sudden it was like he went from being sort of like, yeah, yeah, whatever, just, yeah. you know, yeah. All of a sudden to like, Tell me about it. Let me hear about this. You know, and that's I started cool. talking about it and he's like, oh, dude, that's really cool. And he's yeah. like, you touch And he's like, you he's touch like, uh, You can see the, the shoulders go up. They immediately oh, yeah. tense up. They're like, but I'm going to tell you, so, uh, you know, after being at, you know, I've been, I'll be at uh, my place for, it'll be 23 years at the end of June and wow. coming up on 21 years, we have a company picnic. And a couple of the people have like, you know, that I knew that I co they worked with would come and visit me at Reptile Fest to the Chicago Herpological Society. And he saw the educational activities that we were doing. And they were like, Rich, 
you ever think about doing a company picnic? That would be awesome. And <laughs> I'm like, like yeah, you know, yeah, sure. You know, we got about like a thousand to fourteen hundred people that show up. And I'm like, Wow, do you think they would like do you think they'd like it? And they're like, Oh, they would love it. <laughs> so I spoiled them the first year. I wrangled all my my veterans, right? So we brought in Nile crocodiles. We brought in oh, wow. sulcata tortoises. We brought in <laughs> Burmese and reticulate pythons that were like 15, 16, 18 feet long. Nice. I brought in the blood pythons, the Borneos, you know. I've got pictures of lab directors over the course of the last 20 years, right? Yeah, yeah. Holding the snakes on their shoulders and stuff like that. And <laughs> everybody tells me to this day, they're like, the only reason they go to the company picnic is it's because of stuff. that event. <laughs> that's so awesome. awesome that's dude. so cool. That's cool. Yeah. That's so and I mean, I mean, there's there's a way to make an impact, right? You know, it's yeah. it could be small where you, you know, you guys know, you can step into a classroom with 25 kids, a small classroom, right? And you could be holding, pick something, a cane toad, uh, uh, you know, colubrid, um, anything. And you immediately see the white of the eyes they're mm. like oh my god yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and then you hand it to them and say you can hold it or touch it and all of a sudden it's like you know the ones you've hooked in oh yeah, yeah. you can tell it's just like all oh. the bells are ringing all the lights are flashing they're like oh this is it this is the <laughs> this is the pinnacle right here oh yeah and it, it and it rem even if it's a novelty you know and let's face it you know to some extent there's a little bit of sensationalism and novelty because it's again culturally it's the prohibited fruit right yeah. so yeah. people are like oh you don't do that stuff but when they do and they realize it's not you know for one it's not not the prohibited fruit right it's true yeah. there's not much it's attainable. Talk about a, touching a ball python right yeah um but it we've all gone through that you know i was i grew up not with the realization that you you know it was always about field collecting you know you go out you're mm -hmm. in the field you see it um maybe you can capture it you know and i had snapping turtle i was you know collecting frogs turtles invertebrates and stuff like that and because i was told you can't have a snake right that's fine you know i'll get everything else and <laughs> I, re I remember my sister got a job at a pet store and I was, I think I was transitioning. I think I was a senior in high school and I was moving to college. And again, we're in the Midwest, right? I, you know, it's not like Florida or these other places where you're just bombarded with exotic animals and stuff. <laughs> and my sister got a job at, a, at working at a local pet store. And I went to go visit her because I'm like, it's a pet store. It's cool. Right. And oh, yeah. Yeah. They had they had an OKT style corn snake. Okay, Ooh. it was the bomb. I Hell saw yeah. that. Like, oh my god, it's <laughs> it's red. It's checkered. It's patterned. It's cool. It was yeah. like, uh, you know, and then it was also 120 bucks. You know, and I'm like, you know, they had no money to do that, but I'm like, I want one of those, and it mm -hmm. set a goal. It set a goal. I was going to achieve that one day. Um, it, it took a lot longer than I expected, and <laughs> I ended up, I ended up buying it for my daughter, not for myself. Uh, <laughs> but, 
that was the ultimate achievement because it was like, I remember going to a show. We went to a reptile show here in Illinois. My wife had been, and I had been dating my wife, you know, I had my, uh, she, it was my stepdaughter and she, she was probably five when I met her. And by this point she was a couple, she was a couple years older than that. And so she started appreciating all the animals, which mm -hmm. we were both starting to amass separately until we moved in. And she's like, I want that. I want that. And it was this little corn snake and it was, a, you know, Oki tea style. Yeah. And she's like, it was like $12 and 50 cents, right? <laughs> <laughs> go to a reptile show and, you know, it was many years later. And it was yeah. like, I looked at her and was like, we're doing it. We're, we're doing it. It's going down. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's awesome. And, and we had, we, and her name was Kimberly after like the, I think it was the pink, like power rangers power ranger. oh yeah yeah, yeah. Power rangers. <laughs> yes oh yeah yes. we we covered the entire we covered disney we covered marvel we've covered i mean the names <laughs> the names just go on forever uh but she you know it she wanted it we got it i mean we kept you know kimberly lived for us for oh my gosh forever and you know and this is the challenge with kids right you know not all kids are committed over the over the, the duration frame yeah. of which the animals live right you know yeah um but we, we went we were pragmatic about it too because we went in and realized it's like yeah we're getting it. it's your snake but we realized we're going to be cleaning it's, the cage yeah. And yeah, yeah 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 of course it's just the reality <laughs> but the interesting part is my you know my daughter now she's in her 30s is you know she's she's sort of in that space so she you know even though she doesn't necessarily keep any of the animals herself and then she has no issue with you know she married a a, 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 gen, a great guy who's a science teacher she's got a you know a daughter who's totally into it and i mean this kid's <laughs> gonna be we couldn't influence my daughter but man the grandkid yeah she's gonna be <laughs> <in her life>. <laughs> <laughs> When spoiling you the know, grandchild I, becomes, here's all oh, the corn man. snakes I could find yesterday. <laughs> oh, no, <laughs> I I will bequeath all my assets and all my animals to her. Th there, there you go. Yeah. There you go. That's awesome. It's like I wanted to hold that back. Here, here, raise this. Yeah, you should raise this. It's your snake now. You should name it. <laughs> it's it's awesome. fun, and you know, and we got to recognize the fact. I mean, it's you know we love the animals and we like to share the facts about it, but we also have to be respectful for, I'll call it the other side of the equation, right? You know, this mm -hmm. is a yin and yang type deal is that as much as we're zealots, enthusiasts of exotics and especially with the reptiles and amphibians, there's another counterpart to this, I call it counterculture that has not had the same exposure, maybe has had some, adverse experiences and how do we how do we help temper them you may not necessarily turn them and i've turned them i've i've had some pretty good success stories over my lifetime of, of really working on people that were anti-snake anti-reptile mm -hmm. to actually get into the point where not only were they accepting of of those animals as um as alternatives as pets but I've actually have gone so far as having um, people later in life going so far as actually sitting there going, I like this as a pet and actually 
procuring a boa constrictor when they were like he couldn't even look at a snake and they were a dog <laughs> right you know um and then yeah. and i think that's the part that i think we need you know you guys we've all interacted and in, at different levels on um the constant barrage of prohibitions that have been put up by anti-pet anti-exotic um we'll call it elements for lack of a better word um but we need to be able to start convincing people that you know there's a balance right i mean there are those of us who i'm not a cat person um i'm a dog person but i like i like things other than that and i should be able to keep them with the caveat i will keep them reasonably i will keep them ethically and i will do the appropriate things to maintain those animals in captivity over the long term and more importantly i will continue to the best of my ability to educate other people so that they can experience the animals as successfully as i have and leverage the knowledge unfortunately sometimes the pains that i've gone through to be able to do this right going forward you know and i think we all own that responsibility it, as much as it's difficult for us you know we're reptile people right we're inherently invert you know uh what do you call it uh introverted oh geez introverted thank you very much it's been a long week um, <laughs> i feel like yeah i will drink some more bourbon so <laughs> i have irish heritage so it helps spur thinking oh. <laughs> I that was guinness i don't know <laughs> oh. Oh. <laughs> talking about yeah the god juice the god juice right <laughs> Coming from a Gnostic married to an atheist, you know. So, um, but uh, don't get me started. So, sorry. <laughs> so, I see a bunch of people posting stuff. I was like, oh, I have to watch. Yeah, there's a bunch, back and a bunch forth of comments, comments happening here. Oh, Shout out to everybody in the comment oh, section. We really thank you guys for jumping on and, and hanging with us. Hanging out. It's it's a lot of fun. Oh yeah. And if you're listening to the audio of this post uh, when it's live, you can check us out if you subscribe to Jeremy's YouTube channel, Brassman right. Reptiles. Do it. And you'll get alerts. You, if you turn on your notifications, you'll get an alert when we go live, and you can listen to the episodes live before they. Uh, you can you oh. can hang. Yeah, you can, you can hang with us live. <laughs> we won't pay attention to you, but you can you, hang out. You can throw, <laughs> throw insults at Rob and Jeremy. That's true. <laughs> Although there were some some people people saying that Rob's Rob's a real man's man. I don't. What does that mean? Or, I know what that means. Oh, I mean maybe. <laughs> The whole Only. new world. Yeah. <laughs> hey. hey. <laughs> Put a little flex on it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh. So so Rich, you you love short tail pythons as as we do as well. Yes. And you wrote a book on them. So you told me you love them so much you wrote a book on them. It's true. Yeah. So let me tell you a little story on this one. So um you know, I, I, for the longest time, I've, you know, I've interacted with uh, Tracy and Dave Barker, who are preeminently the, they are the subject matter experts when it comes to short tail pythons. So, I mean, yeah. there's, mm -hmm. there's a large audience of, of um, very knowledgeable people, and we all know each other. We rub elbows, we give each other, you know, regular grief, and I love it. It's a great <laughs> community. But I mean, you kind of have to give respect to the original folks that have been on board with it and have taken it. And um, I know, you know, both Dave and Tracy have been working on um, 
a manuscript associated with the short tail pythons, which we yes. all, we've all been we've all been waiting, for, waiting. Like, yeah, <laughs> you know, fifteen years or something yeah. like that. But you know, um, and, and and what I put together. So you know, for those who are not aware of, I've got a book called A Passionate Journey with Short Tail Pythons, and you know, you That's can kind of see a little bit of the artwork behind right. it. You know. Right. So, uh, James Krause from Fourth Point, uh, who's a you know he's a second generation uh, uh, animal you know person and stuff like that who just has fantastic talent when it comes to conservation artwork. Um, but you know I've kept notes for a long time and I recognize that one of the disadvantages to the popularity of short-tailed pythons is the lack of information, the lack of good information. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and for sure. And this is not to take away. There are some fantastic detailed websites out there. You know, um, Kara and Ryan Norris have put together, um, and it's probably Kara because she's the IT guru on that. Mm -hmm. And um, mm -hmm. but they've put together a phenomenal uh, resource online of short tail information. But there's a little bit of a, a challenge with that, and. You know, people don't know whether, the, you know, it's skeptical, right? If it's online, it doesn't necessarily make it accurate. And um, and people don't always know where to go, right? And and there's still a lot of people that just like, you know, if it's in print, it's easier to read, it's easier to resource yeah. and reference. Yeah. So, you know, I have a three-ring binder I've been keeping all the years that I've been keeping short tails where I've been keeping copies of the emails. I've been, you know, collecting copies of scientific uh, papers associated with the content, the content. And, you know, there's so much more. I mean, my bibliography was cut short, shorter than I wanted to. The whole book actually was shorter than I originally wanted it to be. Um, mainly because I was looking for a price point that kept it within the range of, I'll call it the new entrance. Yeah. Let's face it. There's a side to this that people that are entering into the hobby don't necessarily have an appreciation or for what is of value and where to spend the money. Right. Yeah. And yeah. put it in layman's terms, they're cheap. Okay. And, and I wanted something that was, you know, that was relatively inexpensive where somebody sat there and said, all right, 30 bucks for a book on how to do it. All right. Might be, might be reasonable. Um, and for years I was providing care sheets and, that I would write up and send to people, but it was only hitting the audiences when they were buying the snakes. And I didn't, and I told people, I mean, I've, I've actually unsold more than I've sold over the course of my um, my career with reptiles, because I tell people, you're not ready yet. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. I said, you're, you're buying one of my babies. Okay. Not, not some animal I'm flipping that came out of a farm where I'm just, you know, I'm trying to mm -hmm. feed my family and everything else. I hadn't, there was no monetary incentive for me. All right. I just told people, I said, I want you to be successful because on the flip side, I don't want to be called in to rescue this animal later in life. And it's mm. got all sorts of health and behavioral issues. Mm -hmm. So get it right, which means do your homework. And I'll tell you what, after a certain point, I, I decided I'm going to make your life a lot easier. Okay. 
there are folks, and I'm looking at the two of you that I know will do the due diligence to go out and research and talk to the researchers and talk to the experts and spend ridiculous amounts of time to filter through all this good and bad information to kind of come down to what the recipe is. Not everybody does that. And, mm -hmm. you know, if somebody gets a farmed, bred, wild, collected, whatever you want to call it, animal for a relatively inexpensive price, chances are they're not going to spend the money to, to buy the book. Yeah. Yeah. At least not an expensive book to be able to do the research. So, you know, my goal was always along the way was to be able to give something to somebody that would be kind of fun. It'd be fun to read, you know, because it was more of a tale, not necessarily just a straight up care and captivity. Give them a little bit of a taste of what is out there. Um, you know, there's there's only so many morphs at the time that I was publishing the book and had some great contributors to it. But it wasn't this imposing tome yeah. that personally I would love to read. You know, <laughs> I mean, Kevin, you know, come on. But, you know, Kevin McCurley came out with the, the, the ball python, you know, the Bible, you know, it's like, yeah. you know, we had the, the Barkers with their, which, oh my God, yep. the Barkers information was like, you read that for ball pythons and you come away with it knowing about how to keep all pythons in general, you know, and, yeah. but the important part of it is, is like, there's stages to this and we wanted yeah. to be able to provide it. And smaller circles, I told people, I said, I'm the short time, short tail python fluffer. <laughs> <laughs> maybe some people might get that okay you know i'm like the big event has yet to come i said i'm just kind of like introducing you to something a little bit uh less sophisticated a little bit easier to read um the book was written as pen ready and i don't know if anybody knows anything about publishing but that means you can write on it okay you can cut out the last few pages that had examples of feed cards and it's all instructional. The intent mm -hmm. was to get people to start thinking about longevity, you know, learning how to keep the animals and stuff. And I had a couple of comments from some um, folks that reached out and they said, you know, you really didn't spend as much time on the breeding side of it. And I go, uh-huh. That's that was right. the point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I said it was introducing you to what breeding was like for them. But I said, at the end of the day, I'm not giving you the recipe. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, maybe I'll come out with volume two. Chances are Dave and Tracy will come out with theirs that will go very extensively on it. Yeah. And I uh, very well, I mean, I, I'm not going to acknowledge this too much, but I'm like, I have enough material to do a volume two, but it's like, I don't want to yeah. do it. Yeah. Um, because I think the rest of it is a journey that people need to take to follow through to the, to, the right resources right and there's some yeah. really great knowledgeable people i was just the first one to put it in paper that's I, I i stake no claim other than that that i'm like i felt an itch and i got sick and tired of writing emails and dissertations and back to people it says this is how you keep them and i said you know what you know and hopefully i'm be a little bit more consistent because you know who knows what i was telling people late at night after a long week of work, but, uh, after a couple, a couple you know, glasses of like, bourbon, you know. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. How do you breed your, you know, your short-tail pythons? I'm like, I, I put wait them for together. really good weather fronts. Yeah, you know? yeah. I put them together and wait for a good weather front. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and but you know, what's the first part? Keep them healthy. 
keep them yeah. happy. And that's a recipe that applies to any reptile. And yeah. I think the key on this one is, well, what is healthy? What's happy? And I don't know if you guys remember the Kit Hollister graphic that's been floating around for a long time. Um, and I think Kit Hollister was, I don't know if they, uh, that was a DBM or they were in the herpological space, but they had the original graphics for colubrids. They kind of talked about the different, you know, it, the standard body condition index, the five yeah. step oh, yeah, from yeah. severe anorexia all the way to severe obesity. And when I went to do the book, I really wanted to have that index. And of course, James Krause, who was, you know, the artist for my book, I told James, I said, I've got one graphic at a minimum I would love you to do. And I said, here's here's a perspective on it. And I said, and I, and I took pictures of different blood pythons and different Borneos with what I thought was different condition indexes, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I had the benefit of a, you know, rescuing animals. And I said, if it comes in and it's either one of the short tail species, send them my way. I don't care what condition they look, you know, if they're a hybrid or whatever else, because I wanted to be able to um, keep myself educated and experienced in both the good and the bad side. You know, it's easy to raise something up and do it right. Yeah. yeah. It's another thing to go through the rehabilitation on an animal that's got severe respiratory, you know, conditions or to get an animal that nobody can figure out and find out it's a hybrid. Well, is it a hybrid Curtis? Brightensteen or Bronger's my Brightensteen or whatever else, you know. So mm -hmm. you, you kind of refresh yourself on the taxonomy and what the differences are. But, you know, it started developing this accumulation of information. And it's like one thing is the most common is body index condition, right? Mm -hmm. How do you know? If you want to breed a couple of blood pythons together, I'll tell people right off the bat, send me a couple pictures. I'll tell you whether you should breed them or not. Mm -hmm. And I don't look at whether it's a matrix and a T positive. I'm looking at what's the body condition. Mm -hmm. And I said, if you're breeding a level four, level five, or level three is ideal. I'm going to tell you, don't waste your time. Yeah. As soon as a short tail python is obese, you start running into things like the risk of impact of um, uh, the animals being uh, impacted or uh, grab it and Oh, jeez, I can't even talk to you. Eggbound or something like that? <laughs> Eggbound, thank you very much. Um, you know, too many conditions here. Uh, but, you know, being eggbound, um, you got other situations where the animals have, do not have enough body weight. Mm -hmm. So there's not enough fat bodies on there to be able to sustain that extended period. And, you know, you're going to get an animal that's going to slug out um, or worse yet, get, you know, also get eggbound. So, you know, and then start talking a little bit about the behaviors of environmental conditions, right? You know, I, I you know, you you become a weather expert when it comes to breeding. Oh, <laughs> hell yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Because you are, you're like, all right, Here what's the weather forecast for this week? And it's like, oh, weather, we're getting rain. And yeah. everyone's like, well, why are you so excited about rain? I will get eggs or I'll get, yeah. you know, whatever. I'll get activity. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> so, you know, and, it, and that's the part. I mean, I love it all. I mean, I love it all because it's so complex and it forces you to pay attention to details that 
you know, most of us probably don't pay attention to. Um, Very true. I've had a number of people that just reach out to me and say, hey, you know, I've, I've had the same pair for seven years and they don't, they don't success. They breed. <laughs> well, it's course. They're a short tail python. They're horny little buggers. They'll breed, yeah. like, they'll breed all year long. <laughs> you know, but you know, the females are like, hey, you're going to put a ring on that finger? I'm not committing, you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And it's, it's a, it's what's, what's the condition that's, that sparked that. And I said, separation makes a big difference. Don't Uh feed them together all year long. Um, You know, that's point one, point two, you know, once you've got the body condition index set up and you've got a healthy, I'll call it athletic uh, shaped, you know, um, breeding pair is the next thing is, is the male in with the female long enough for the female to feel like, yeah, he's in here to stay, right? Mm-hmm. So you've got that pheromone effect that allowed the female, she'll develop the egg follicles. The question is whether she allows the egg follicles to go the next step, and that is to get fertilized and go into shell. And, you know, the, and that was one of the citations that I came across early on way back when that the male's presence with the female has a dramatic effect, not necessarily the copulation, just the presence of the male has an impact on whether the female kind of commits to the eggs developing. So you got to keep them in there long enough, which I'm sorry, ball python breeders, you breach into the world of short tails, multiple males or multiple females to a male. Mm. It's not going to work in your favor. You know, you might get away with it, you know, one male to two females, maybe. Um, but the reality is, you know, it's, it's not one male to it, seven females like, like a lot of the bald people are doing or the corn yeah. snake people. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, hey, I started out with ball pythons 20 plus years ago. I had a male knock up nine females. Okay. Yep. I mean, he was doing he was the job. He was, he was a stud. And, he was 700 grams at seven months old. Damn. Okay. You will never hear about that in the blood python. <laughs> no. Okay. No. For one, I'll be honest with you. When I, my experience is, well, maybe my males are dysfunctional because I've heard otherwise, but you know, 18 months, a male is supposedly sexually mature and can do the job. My males can't figure out which hole to hit. Yep. Yeah. And the girls are usually coaching them. Yeah, so I I wait. The males kind of, you know, they they got it, they got to figure it out themselves. Um, it's fine if you go with the Mrs. Robinson image where you've got an older female and the younger <laughs> male. That well, hey, I've seen this. I had I had a female that if I wanted to get a male fired up, um, I put the male in with her, and she actually would court the male. She would actually the place, the tail wag and, 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 and oh yeah, I mean she did she did the job for him, you know, and it was you know, <laughs> you know, I Graham, the Mrs. Robinson context is probably ancient for most of our audience, <laughs> but going back, but it it's 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 this issue is that there has to be a degree of psychological as well as physical maturity in yes. order to get mm-hmm. successful breeding, yep, and. You know, there's, you know, the animals need that in order to be successful. And if you're really focusing in on a prized breeding activity, and this is where I look at newbies and I say, you know what, stack the deck in your favor. 
get older animals and let them do the job. Because by you know a certain point, Mother Nature kicks in and it kind of gives them what they need to understand to know how to interact with the opposite sex during those behaviors. So if that takes four years, five years, so be it. You know, yeah, yeah, it's um, not a, it's not a. Sprint. But you want to do it? No, it's not. And and let's face it, you get every other year, right? Mm. So you miss it, you know. And I've had I've had those years where I slugged out, and it's like, oh crap! You crap. Know, the next chance is two years, two years from now, you know. <laughs> and you know, I mean, we're short LP, you know, Python keepers. I mean, we might as well be winemakers for all that matters because it's like, ah, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah we'll just wait till the next vintage, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've got a nice no, ripe 2014 no. that's just getting ready oh, now. It's going to be, ah, oh, it's going to be beautiful. <laughs> and, you know, and, and of course I'm the guy with the, with, you know, if it wasn't for bad luck, I wouldn't have luck. Um, you know, inevitably <laughs> I'm the one, I'm the one who go, you know, I go all out and I get that one animal and it's like, all right, cool. And I bring it in and it's, you know, it's supposed to be a male. It turns out to be female. female. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. And I've had place. that. I'm going to tell you, I've had that happen more often than I care to admit, uh, to the point where I actually expect that when I buy that real high-end animal, somebody's like, oh, yeah, it's a male. It's a male. I'm like, it's a female. <laughs> yeah, but it's definitely a girl. It's got to be a girl. <laughs> and then there's a little bit of the rubbing, like, hey, remember that male that you, you know, that four-gene animal that you sent me and I paid ridiculous amount of money for? And it's like, it turned out to be a girl. And they're like, uh, no, it and can't like, be. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the problem I have is I got more females with multi genes than anything else, but uh, you know it's not a bad thing to be into. Um, could be worse, but yeah. it's, it could it, totally be worse. It could be worse. Yeah, but it's the one species that I've recognized. And I've, I've, you know, I've dabbled in a lot of different species. It's the one species I recognize. It is actually the most challenging to successfully sex. Oh yeah, properly. Oh yeah. Um, you know, unless you get that really fantastic mushroomed, you know, bright red popping at the time, um, there, there is the possibility of missexing it. And and it's it's one it's a weird one too, right? You know, you think you got a male, inevitably it turns out to be a female. You never had the other way around. Um, <laughs> at least I haven't yet, you know, and I've been very fortunate in that. But I've had at least six over the years that I have attained from, you know, fairly experienced, reputable sources. I mean, you know, they sold as a male and it turned out to be female. Mm -hmm. um, and, and in hindsight, it actually worked out in my favor because for various reasons. And yeah. Um, yeah. it's great to have that, you know, but it also tells me I need a lot more males yeah <laughs> just in case i think that's yeah. one of the good things about the short tails is that like a lot of people when it comes to like corn snakes or ball pythons they're like i'll get one like rock star male and then i'll just never buy another male i'll just have that one or two males that i'll really work yeah. with and with short tails it really doesn't hurt i mean it usually helps to have multiple almost as many males yeah. as you have females uh, oh, yeah. to make sure that you're hitting the right projects you know well, and like I said before, I mean, you, you're really looking at one for one pairing, yeah. right? Maybe one for two, depending. But really, you have it. to plan. Oh yeah, and you have to plan for that contingency that the male that you got, unless it's a proven male, might not necessarily be a male, and then it kind of sets you back a little bit. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, so, and I think that's the reason for the most part, the reason why the short tail um, species in general, whether it's Brightensteeny, Cur- you know, Curtis or Bronger's mine, why they're not as, why they're not more popular is because there's a bit of an, they're a bit of an enigma, right? Mm-hmm. Because, yeah. you know, even, even, even the expert, I'll call them the experts because we're none of us. The, 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 the more experienced you become, the less you realize you're, yeah, you're like, I don't know what the hell's going on with these genetics. Like, I've been doing this for 20 years. Oh, you must have all the answers. Yeah. I don't know. Shit. I love it. Sorry. I love it when people are like, you know, oh, you've been, you know, have you been working with short tails? I'm like, yeah, I've been breeding Borneos for 25 years. So I'm like, oh, so then you know how to identify them. I'm like, I have no clue. Oh, uh, you know, <laughs> got no me clue. there. You no got clue. me there. <laughs> oh, my God. You know, and, you know, the behind the scenes, you know, the 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 uh, called the Facebooks private groups and stuff. We're all lamenting over how we have no freaking clue how to identify it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? uh, oh boy. You know? But it, oh, it's you know, you know. There's been a you know, we've seen a couple of the the pat um the the uh, threads the last couple of days, especially. Oh you know, my goodness! People come in. And they're immediately like, "I'm gonna brand this a certain way," and it's like, "Okay, but what makes you?" brain why do you want to call it that you know and it's like um and this is where the challenge is is call it what you want but be prepared to explain to people it's like hey what's going on yeah yeah, what is it what what does that mean you know i mean when i call something it's a little obvious um not a little obvious it's very obvious when we start talking about t positive versus t negative or we talk Mm -hmm. about the t right 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 golden eye you start getting a little convoluted when we start talking about what's a 007. Oh, that magpie. one bothers me. <laughs> yeah. You know, and even a magpie. I mean, a magpie. All right. It's the super form Fairly. of a golden eye for those yeah. who don't know. But, you know, golden eye is pretty clear. It's easy to obvious. A magpie versus a maybe a 007. What is that? Sometimes it's so, tough, man. Yeah. It's so wild because I remember the yeah. first 007s that I saw were like super reduced. They almost looked like a magpie where they're like almost yeah. no pattern on them, just like a little bit of striping. And I was like, man, these are incredible. This is, I like these better than I like the magpies. And then all of a sudden I started seeing people making more 007s from like an ivory to a golden eye. And they look almost like a regular golden eye. And I'm like, right. okay, that is not the same thing. And I just yeah. saw over there what is going on here and it's like we still it's still confusing to me as to what that is i mean it's maybe other traits at play but it's like it hasn't been done yet but at this yeah but at the same time too what the excitement of dealing with short tails is that you never know what you're gonna get what you're gonna get even you know, and it could be even predict. I mean, you know, if you're a Borneo person, you're used to the unpredictable because that's, that's my that's my favorite part. <laughs> oh yeah, Ron just um, likes being know, able and, to and, post everywhere that he got worlds first. Yeah, every year, every single <laughs> baby that you hatch out of the worlds first. <laughs> you got clutch of twenty four. You got twenty four. Were you know first? Boom, you know, he's like, got you know, it. That's oh it. yeah, every year uh, crushes you know, it. Oh, world of you know, and I made the I made the mistake of. <laughs> putting together completely unrelated lines together. And now I'm even more confused than I was when I started. You know, I got, I got, yep. I got latte. I got latte on one side. I got ultra bright on another. I got granites, which is tied to the ultra bright, depending on who mm. you talk to. And, and it's like all of a sudden, and I throw them all together, expecting we have lattes, platinums, which is a, Different you know, latte, granite, uh, ultra bright. 
And and all of a sudden it was like I put this together and I'm like, oh crap, there's like a 20 babies. I've got 18 that I have no idea what the hell to call. 18 different <laughs> looks. And, it's so yeah. crazy. Oh yeah. Yeah. And somebody asked me one time, they're like, what are you holding back? And I'm like, everything. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I yeah. spent the last 20 years holding back entire clutches. And mm. you know, after a while, you're kind of like, yeah, I release this out or release that out, you know, to you know, those special people. And it was like after a while, I'm kind of like I, I exhausted all those resources, and and quite honestly, I don't want to get rid of them. I want to keep them, you know. Yep. And yep. and of course, Where have I heard we're in this before? weird. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Rob. <laughs> you, know? And, you know, the only limitation these days is it's like I'm you know calling up ARS and going, and how backlogged are you guys on campus right now? <laughs> exactly. What if I send you some scrap metal? Can you hook me up here? I might I might be able to like weld a little. I can probably yeah. sand a lot, yeah. you know. It's like I'll take At weekends. some point it's like just, um, just you know what? Tubs. Just send me the tubs yeah, me and the tubs. schematics to build the fucker I'll and I'm it. gonna go for it. I'm gonna try. <laughs> <laughs> I'll make it out of two by twos and I'll just wait for the metal to come. There but, you go. Yeah. There no, go. it's it yeah. Target's it's having a sale on credit. Christmas tree tubs. <laughs> Getting the hell out of here. You see the one guy with a cart full of ten Christmas tree tubs. You're like, how many Christmas trees does he have? I don't know. <laughs> really. He's a very festive guy. <laughs> I remember walking. I remember walking into a Walmart one time, and I was just being, you know, a snot. And a lady was sitting there, and she was loading up. I guess somebody had returned the Christmas trees, but it was on a pallet. There had to have been like fifty of these things. I, oh I looked at. It, I said, <laughs> "I said, excuse me, ma'am, 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 you work here?" And she's like, "Yeah." I said, um, "Do you guys give a price discount on a pallet full of Christmas tree boxes?" <laughs> <laughs> and she looked at me like. Uh, trees do you have yeah <laughs> you're like that's not the question no, no, no. they're the perfect size uh, for a body i mean i mean yeah. <laughs> call me dexter yeah. <laughs> oh, oh my gosh, gosh. but you yeah it's, the, it's like, a big the stories that they will always talk about even oh, yeah. after they leave that job oh, they leave Walmart, they're like yeah. man i worked at i worked at walmart and this guy asked me how much the entire Palette of, of these huge boxes. Christmas trees. They haven't worked at that job for ten years. They're still talking about that. <laughs> oh boy, it's it's fun. Oh my gosh. Yeah, if there's nothing. There's the stories to tell, and I think everybody's got a book to write afterwards. Um, you know, and it's this is the part. I mean, so I've been at this for quite a long time. I mean, I think my first short tail python was in 1995, um, and you know, even back then, I all I do is I saw this gringy, darty, dark, brain steeny that, you know, I just thought the shape of it was really cool. And mm. I thought, man, that would be really cool. And now, I mean, looking back on it, it's the one single species, I say collectively, because Curtis, Brummer's Money, and, and uh, brain steeny all are separate species these days, but it's the one um, common thread that's kept me throughout my entire reptile experience. I've kept ranids and I love, I love monitor lizards like there's no tomorrow. But um, 
I've kept tortoises and I, you know, for those who don't know, I have a pair of sulcata tortoises and a leopard tortoise. Um, my original sulcata tortoise, we, my wife acquired about the size of a golf ball back in 1995. And, oh, man. You know, he's, he's freaking 85 pound monster and he's yes. promiscuous. <laughs> and I'm in the Midwest, you know, and people are like, what are you going to do when you need to get rid of them? Like, oh, what are you talking about? Get rid of them. Get rid They're of like, them. well, when it gets too big, I'm like, no, no, no. I'm in the process of building a habit, a hut in my backyard. That's six foot by six foot by six foot, like 24 inches tall, just so I can keep them outside longer. That's going to be mm-hmm. heated. And, <laughs> you know? Yep. And I said, and the indoor habitat, I need to get them out so I could build the indoor habitat. So I actually can separate the male and female mm-hmm. and people are like, why are, why? why? <laughs> and I'm like, because December when I'm sitting there screwing around during, you know, winter break or whatever, when I'm you know off work for a couple of days, I want to be able to turn around and watch my tortoises enjoying mm-hmm. themselves <laughs> yeah. in a 20 foot habitat inside my house. And I refuse to move to another climate just because of that you know i mean mm. it's you know I, I have the luxury of being able to do that but um you know it's just as a reptile keeper you adapt your lifestyle around the animals mm-hmm. yeah. not the other way around yeah. and for those of us who are successful you know and i say that very very marginally you know <laughs> successful because you're you spend your entire lifetime trying to figure out how to dial it incorrectly mm. um but you I don't manipulate the animal to my lifestyle. I manipulate my lifestyle to the animal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Millions of years have gone into developing them to the way they are. I'm not going to change that overnight. I can tweak and twist and, you know, you know mm-hmm. I, can, I can feed it rodents instead of reptiles and stuff like that, you know, but at the end of the day, I gotta, I have to nurture their natural behaviors in the appropriate way and it's not inexpensive and it's not easy um that is the exciting part you know Mm. it keeps us motivated and focused um and i don't know if you guys know but i I started venturing a little bit more deeply into another passion i've had that's candoia i love candoia that's the Uh, second snakes i ever got was candoia Oh man, I tell you, it is a it. We're retic and Burmese python people kind of move into the short tail community, and maybe ball python people in short tail. It's the short tail python people move into Candoia because you're already used to <laughs> sort of that temperature gradient, mm-hmm. maybe finicky eating in some ways, but but it's just that the body structure, you know. I mean, I lo- and I've got Paulsoni. Uh, oh. I've had for. Oh my gosh. I mean, I love them. I've had them for, you know, I've had actually kept them off and on over 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've got Aspera too, which is you know, mm-hmm. the, the true viper pups. And you know, they got that. The mini bloods. Yeah. The, the mini, mini bloods. That's actually yeah. perfect. Yeah. <laughs> the mini bloods. They have a very similar body structure. Live- just like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they're live bearers on top of it. So yes. yeah, it just kind of adds yeah. an interesting little spin to it. Um, but yeah. they are, they got their way of eating. And yep, don't, yep. don't force that on them. You know, you got to accommodate <laughs> them. So, um, you know, and I'm actually working with a couple of people that are actually Candoia people. They're trying to get into the blood, you know, short tail space. Cool. And then of course, you know, so it's kind of, it's, it's, 
it's fun, you know, and we need a little bit of variety, something to, you know, spur a little bit of, I call it the competitive challenge of <laughs> something new, you know. I'm looking at you two guys, and you guys have, you know, you got challenges and species diversity up the yin yang with where you're at. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. I, I get that at nerd and then most of my own stuff is I mean I don't the scrubs are challenging, but yeah. aside from that everything yeah. else is pretty easy. Yeah we yeah. that's not changed. Bolins and scrubs have been a challenge for a long time. Man. Yeah. It's yeah. Like, yeah. But the cool part about it is I think time pays off. Oh yeah. There are people that will commit to it a long time. The same with the Bolene. I think we'll get those dialed in we may find it to be unconventional mm -hmm. um, and i'm kind of looking forward to when people finally figure that i don't have the patience for it but <laughs> me either i oh yeah i can appreciate the complexity of it i remember the old al baldago conversations when he was you know out in the field looking at the, the bolins um, you know, of course, you could read stories all the way back to when Crutchfield and company were collecting them out of the wild. But um, yeah, it's there's going to be some mysteries that are going to face us for a long time with some of these species. They're not they're not easy. And Absolutely, we need to. We're we're getting better at adapting our mindset over to it. Yeah, you know how the animals are. Right. And and yeah. the, I think that that points great into um, the the fact that you're getting into Candoia because in some ways they're similar to some of the things that you're keeping already, but in a lot of ways they're very different. And when you start to open your mind up to different ways of keeping things that you might not have thought about before, it can improve the ways that you keep the things that you already do. Because, oh, yeah. uh, you know, I was talking about what was it? Um I can't even remember what it was. I was talking to I, even just uh, I'll talk about this. Uh, Owen from NPR, mm. he was he's got baby carpet pythons and he had some trouble feeders and he's got the rhino rats and you know, going from keeping rhino rats and they, a lot of people will start them on uh, guppies or minnows or like whatever little feeder fish or whatever, and they're like, well, why don't you try it with the carpet pythons? And he had some st stubborn carpet pythons, threw some feeder fish in there, and boom, they hit him right away. If he hadn't been keeping a species other than his carpet pythons, he would have been sitting there trying to get mice into him, yeah. uh, you know, trying to do the same things over and over and over again that may or may not have worked and, you know, may or may not have been successful with keeping the animals alive. But because he had that little sidestep to a different species, it's just that little bit different. Boom. He found something that works. And, mm -hmm. and now that he's got that in his back pocket, he can apply that to some of the other things that he's working with. And I think that that's some, something that, you know, it, there's a huge amount of work that you can do when you'd focus on one species and just do that and run with it. But when you have got a little bit of diversity or even just learning about different species and how people do different species, it can really up your game when it comes to yeah. whatever you're doing, even if it's just one species or two or three or whatever. Yeah. And I think that's the one area that I have to um, recognize credit you know, when I did rescue for the Chicago Logical Society, I coordinated this during uh, 1998 through 2000. And I took over the mantle and developed other people to be um, sort of the lead on it. And sort of, I was there for the special species that, you know, the ones that were a little bit more challenging. Mm -hmm. But during that period of time, so we're talking only three years, right? The first year I did 1,300 animals. Yep. Mm. 
the second yep. year I did close to 1500 and then I think the third year I did probably about the same amount and I was dealing with you name it I mean you cover the gamut and here we are in Chicago so we have an international airport we had King Cobras we had Gaboon Vipers we had uh, you know large reticulated pythons and Burmese pythons and iguanas and boas and you know stuff like that mata mata I mean it's mm -hmm. like so we had kind of quirky stuff and you know we continue to see you know invasive species coming in on tropical plants and i mean so we got calls for if it was reptile or amphibian we got the call regardless of where it came in and no matter how big or how small there was always this um encouragement to let's let's rehabilitate it to a point in captivity it would survive and and then find an appropriate suitable home and you start realizing all the tips and tricks to be able to get things to eat and mm -hmm. you know you always had i had my little secret cupboard of everything from different colored mice to different uh, frozen type fish to resources on to get live fish and poultry and you know you name it and, and it was funny i mean you started learning that it's like some of the weirdest things that some of these animals would um <laughs> lean towards for their first meal you know, in mm -hmm. captivity. captivity is you know, really traumatic for some, you know, for an animal that's out of the wild, at least. Mm -hmm. So, um, and it was, you know, I remember reaching out to all sorts of resources and say, hey, if you ever, you know, do the zoos, you know, and, and we had, you know, in the Midwest, we had some really unusually um, um, high profile, very experienced, very talented people. I mean, you got Rob Carmichael, Wildlife Discovery Center, yeah. High mm -hmm. Park. You know who's now down in florida but ty was up here for the longest time and mm -hmm. ty's been a long time chs member you know we had uh, um uh ray Pauly, you know former curator of the brookfield zoo you know ray was founding member of chs at one point and you know and so we were like you know i had chicago zoological society pulling up to my house in brookfield you know i was <laughs> half a mile from the zoo and you know they, they'd be dropping animals off at my place <laughs> <laughs> what's up with this i'm like yeah i take deposits you know we you know we collaborated with a lot of people and this is where i think we were uniquely positioned as a herp society because of our ties to the chicago academy of sciences which if anybody knows anything the Chicago Academy of Sciences was actually the largest contributor to native collections to the Smithsonian. So oh, it's wow. been around for an extremely long time. Yeah, the Field Museum, the you know, the Chicago saw, you know, um, the Field Museum, yeah, the Shedd Aquarium, very prominent organizations. And mm -hmm. and you know, we have ties to University of Chicago and you know and other academic institutions. And it just ended up being a very interesting collection of really prominent knowledgeable resources to tap into we got the university of illinois veterinary school so when we're doing rescues and we get animals that either had to be euthanized or or were you know were dead when we collected them and stuff like that and it's like well what do you do well, i'm not gonna throw the corpses out because i got a veterinary school that i want to be able to see experienced in exotics you know, yeah. you know it was either them or we'd up in wisconsin so we we're providing them resources you know and we had uh Paul Serino with the University of Chicago, renowned uh, National Geographic paleontologist. He actually would freeze reptiles in blocks of ice and have his students working on 
basically removing them from the ice like they were removing a fossil. Wow. Stone. That's crazy. So, yeah, and we had all sorts of different species. So we were contributing to that, you know, and hopefully there'll be some announcement about my interactions with Paul in the next in the next year or so. Um, but, you know, all this collaboration, and here I am, again, I'm an accountant by profession, reptile enthusiast, probably far more of an enthusiast than I reckon, you know, than some people realize. But, you know, realizing that there's the opportunity that because of the proximity of what we have and recognizing all the different moving parts, that we have the opportunity to sort of bring all these together, right? So it's not the Herp Society versus the academic versus the zoological. It's like we're all kind of the part of the same family and how do we leverage each other to the most um uh to the greatest extent possible and you know i mean 25 years ago i started realizing short tail pythons i started realizing that you know injections for respiratory uh illnesses wasn't quite making the impact and i've mm -hmm suffered from respiratory ailments and i've got a mother who's you know extensive on respiratory ailments and i thought oh, nebulizer i started mm -hmm. delivering nebulization nebulize uh, medic you know uh, uh pharmaceuticals directly to animals and now i'm talking 20 years ago we started experimenting with this and found out that it works very successfully given in the right circumstances for tortoises and for snakes and stuff like that and started actually contributing that information to the University of Illinois Veterinary School because, as you guys know, there's this issue with uh, fungus affecting North American native species. Mm -hmm. yep. And we're like, how do you treat them in a way that, and we found out that one of the things that we could do is nebulization actually kind of works. You mm. know, so you can give them antifungals, but you could also give them the antibiotics through nebulization. On to minimize it, and you know, so there's, you never know, right? It's a body of knowledge, and everybody's contributing to it. So, and this is where I think, you know, where we tend to be a little kind of catty with each other, and sometimes antagonistic, is that we can actually all be contributing to the same body of knowledge, and sharing with each other. Doesn't matter whether we're academic, uh, zoological, amateur breeder commercial is that we all kind of if we interact together um we can actually find ways to actually further on what the end result is and the end result is we've got this body of species that are losing habitat and we need to be able to figure out how to be able to preserve them for what they are and whether that means keeping some in zoological organizations conservation organizations or even in private collections right um and I look at both of you guys, you guys have been, you spent times in sort of a couple of those spaces. And it's like, how do we encourage people to do it the right way? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, you know, you can't just, oh, I got this snake and I want to throw it into a breeding program. Well, so that's not enough. We need to know, keep the history. And this is where, whether it's chondros or um, or other Moralia or even short tail pythons, you notice people start keeping lineage information mm -hmm. where we come from um it's really almost like a precursor to a stud book right yep yeah um 
you know, it might be driven more by morphology, but you know, it's like if we look at it from a taxonomic perspective, it actually has importance. So, mm. um, yeah, you got me talking philosophical this hour. So. <laughs> 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 you can go on for, for a long time. I, my wife is probably sitting there going, where are you now? No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that um, I, well, we're going to, we're heading towards the end of our time, but I did want to touch on that. Um, the lineage thing. I, I'm really excited to see, I'm hoping that in the next five, 10 years that um, there's some, someone or something that is able to put together some sort of um, like website or registry, kind of like AKC where you can, follow the line of the different animals that people are working with because i think that that would be really cool to be able to follow you know where the siblings to the animal that you've got are going and and even mm. if people you know they don't necessarily have to you know put their information publicly on display but to be able to see updates and see what was produced from this kind of animal i think that that's going to be like that could be hugely important for you know, figuring out things that are more tricky, like crested geckos or like crested geckos, people just kind of breed them and then they hope for the best. Or, you know, sometimes <laughs> they just throw, you know, two things that look the same together and they produce something that looks completely different or the Borneos or Amazon Trebo is I think about a lot of the polygenic things where, you know, it's just going to be this accumulation of information over time and looking at the different ways that things are produced. And maybe it can help us figure out what's going on with them because, as of right now, there you know, there's individual people that are looking at you know a species or looking at you know how people are or what people are sharing online and that sort of stuff. But if we had an, an aggregate, a place where it could all come together and we could look at it as a community as a whole, I think that that could be like just huge. And I, I've thought about that over the last couple of years, and I I would love to do that. I'm not technologically advanced enough to do something <laughs> like that, but I think that that would be like so, so cool. And it, I feel like something like that could give us an extra layer of kind of like quote unquote legitimacy uh, because when people look yeah. at like the AKC and they look at uh, the way that people do dogs and cattle and things like that, it's, it's kind of like this, okay, you've got this overarching system that kind of gives the, the different breeders legitimacy in their lines. And they've got, you know, follow, you can follow it back generations and all this sort of stuff. And right now, with reptiles is it's not really like that it's kind of you know people are just kind of doing their own thing and individually we might keep great records you know you, you keep records of the the clutches that you produce and the litters and things like that and you know i think about like um uh, dave and tracy barker and you know nick botini and kara and and you know all these people and they're they're following the different lineage of the things that they're working with. But then again, there's also a lot of people who are just like, I don't know, I threw two snakes together, and they're like, oh, I got a bunch of these babies. <laughs> I don't know. what I did. Hundred yeah. bucks, get rid of them. Like, <laughs> so it's kind of like uh, it's like a stud book meets Ancestry.com. You know? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Right. We've and you know, know it's interesting because that same discussion has gone on for quite a number of years. I mean, we yeah. talked about um what is the appropriate and i think one of the obstacles to that is technology right yeah. being able to have a database that chronicles it um and i'll throw this into the extreme when you look at things like borneos is understanding the genetics right you know yes not not the the taxonomic aspect of it but just the morphological aspects of you know what where an animal originates from truly 
and mm-hmm. what characterizes certain appearances over others. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, just for my own sanity, you know, and certainly I, I, I had a starting point, very rudimentary with the uh, book that I put together was, you know, some morphs are really obvious to identify. You know, when we talk about things like you start out with the T negative to T positive, you start looking at genetic stripe like the CVE line or the Krogzatics line, and we talk about um, hypomelanistic, and we talk about, um, we start getting into the combination morphs, right? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, look at the, well, was it the ball python, world market, world, um, was it the world market? Um, where the you world of ball morphs. pythons. World of ball pythons, thank yeah. you very much. So, you know, we don't have something like that for all the different species. And ball pythons are one of them. And even then, there's a little bit of subjectivity to defining a morph. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a T negative and a T positive, that's easy, right? But to be able to narrowly define something down to like, um, is it a granite or a marble board? Is it... <laughs> yeah, is it is it a ghost a latte an ultra bright uh, ultra bright yeah you know? ultra platinum yeah <laughs> so yeah so it starts getting a little bit more complex in some of these and we you know we don't know and the problem is is we have experimentation at the hobbyist level of just hey i got two snakes i'll put them together and you know mm-hmm. whatever and i'm gonna call it whatever i feel like calling it at that moment and the reality is, is that there's no, um, if you were to look at a stud book and say, all right, what defines an, you know, look at AKC, right? What defines an ideal American bulldog or an English bulldog or a chihuahua or whatever, is that we haven't really defined what the appearance is to be able to turn around and say, and then here's the offshoots of when you take on English to an American or whatever, you know. Um, And I started doing something along that line recently (laughs) in my spare time, right? Um, (laughs) You know, but more importantly, it was also giving recognition and and in some ways honor to who was the person that first produced some of the more combination morphs, right? Mm -hmm. So we look at, and I got to give homage to Nick Bettini, right? You know, the, the electrostatic right so you've got a combination morph that's got multiple genes in there but the late person if they were look at it how would they know what it is you know a t positive okay we might be able to, to identify that versus a t negative mm-hmm. that's kind of a stretch but the issue is is that how do people be able to sit there and say look hey i can tell the differences and this is where the short tail um morphology has worked against it versus the ball pythons versus the reticulated pythons is that the genetics on those other species are really easy they're very predictable they're almost calculable mm-hmm. we start getting into short tail pythons yeah no it's not because there's a lot of polygenic variation with it you know i could have a normal blood python that could produce what appears to be genetic striping of some, or I shouldn't say genetic striping, striping. Sort of striping okay. yeah. Yeah. Is it genetic? We don't know. Okay. And the only way you know is through selective breeding. 
And this is where the challenge is. And it's also what often prevents short-tail pythons from being able to command some of the predictive pricing that you will see in other species is because you don't know. You don't know what you're getting. And what I'm proposing, and I'm looking at Rob kind of challenging him on this as well to be a participant, <laughs> is let's start building sort of that dictionary, right? Let's start developing what are all the different appearances and then start backtracking them to figure out, can we figure out where they came from? So that's a, that's a discussion for a different time, but it's, um, it's certainly <laughs> planning to see for further, you know, probably long beyond the uh, time frame you guys had set up, but you know, yeah, it's a yeah, short tail talk, you know, <laughs> that's, hey, it. Hey, that's it, man. This is reptile talk, man. That's We're just it. talking reptiles yeah. right now. That's it. Exactly. <laughs> so before we wrap up, we have one question that we ask all of our guests on this show. And it's a very important question. Boxers and, or briefs? No, that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> Boxer briefs, duh. But so the one question that we ask everyone who's on here uh, is what in the realm of reptiles, be it something that you're working with in your own collection, something you've seen online, something you're watching someone else doing or working with, uh, some sort of scientific thing that's going on, what within the larger umbrella of reptiles, what has got you excited about reptiles right now? Wow. Um, it's a tough one. All the above. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, for those that maybe don't know, but I've been a Varanid guy for as long as I can remember. Um, knocking elbows with the likes of Robert Spracklin, and um, I had my chances with Steve Irwin and stuff like that. Um, you know, it's I love the intelligence, I love the diversity, I love the challenge of these modern prehistoric animals, and I love the fact that we've got everything from uh dwarf monitors all the way up to you know komodo and mm. um you know i think the the challenge there is being able to figure out how we can balance um i'll call the inherent nature uh in challenge associated with varanids with maintaining them in captivity in a successful and i would say safe manner for the public mm. and for our, you know for the people involved um, that's the first thing I say, I would love, you know, I mean, there's so many species I want to work with and I can't do them all. Um, the, the flip side to that is, um, I would really, really like to see more research and a lot more work being done in that area, everything across the spectrum. I would love to see a Dotrio, uh, Ranids take a more prominent, uh, um, place in captive uh pet options right yeah, you know i mean i yeah. think Aki's make fantastic um and i haven't even explored kingorum and you know and stuff like that but uh, they're cool you know, they're, they're really cool yeah. <laughs> kimberly's and stuff and, and oh, I my have, goodness. oh i have an old love to dorianus and i would love to get another dorianus uh, again uh, okay day. but um yeah i have had some interesting experiences with them but uh yeah i mean it's you know I think monitor lizards have a lot to be done. You know, they, they also, <laughs> there's, there's a challenge there. Yeah. Not yeah. everybody, not everybody kind of get a, you know, I can't imagine crocodile monitors becoming popular. It's like, oh my gosh. Um, it's scary. They yeah. are it, really it popular. It is scary right how much they've, really popular. they've popular. Yeah. popularity. Have your own yeah. velociraptor, you know? Yeah. No. Pretty much. Yeah. yeah. Uh, oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So Rich, Single if people, 
if people want to find out more about you and the things that you're doing, where should they find you? Where should they find you on social media? So Instagram, you know, I'm obviously Rich Crowley Reptiles yeah. on Instagram, Facebook. Um, my, my, obviously I've got a web, I still have a website um, and I do try to maintain that pretty well. So Rich Crowley Reptiles. Um, my email is Pagona31. I've had for probably 30 plus years at yahoo.com. So if anybody's really trying to reach Boom. out to me, um, you know, even if it's just to, you know, shoot the crap and, you know, try to validate details. My goal is to make people successful with keeping reptiles and amphibians. It doesn't necessarily mean in my space. Um, I just don't want them to suffer the burnout and suffer the ill effects of taking an animal that they're ill prepared for and having to rehome it because I deal with that a lot. So, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I, you know, and, and hopefully if people are around in Schaumburg at the NARBC, it sounds like things are opening up and I'm vending there and it should be a lot of fun. So I'll cool. be, you know, just stop by and say hi. Yeah. Sweet, man. That's awesome. Yeah, so thank fun. you so much for coming on tonight. I appreciate yeah, it a lot, dude. man. This has been fun. We're going to have to have Absolutely. him on for a round two. I feel like this went too quickly. Yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Always does. But you guys are great. I appreciate cool. it. So Awesome, man. Thank so you, take man. care. Have a nice night and we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, guys. Take care. Yep. Bye.